0: I have a lot of notes this morning so I am like parsing them all out um also you can put up the first picture I recognize that my audience that would relate to this probably just left but um (laughs) I relate to this a lot when I first saw this movie when I was in college I was like I am Elsa but um I was gonna play the song but apparently that's copyright infringement so sorry Disney but um and I was also going to sing the song after that, and then Sarah said she'd walk out. So barring anybody else walking out, I won't sing the song. But um, this is actually, I would say, one of the modern examples of a lament. So um, the song, Let It Go, I don't know if you know the history of that song. But um, the original original story of the Snow Queen is actually a Hans Christian Andersen Story, um, Frozen, is loosely based on that, even more loosely based on it because of the song Let It Go. When it was originally written by the Anderson Lopez's, it's a couple, um, when it was originally written by the Anderson Lopez's and shown to the producers, the producers heard the song for the first time and said that um, the Snow Queen, which was originally the villain of the story, they said, quote, you know, someone singing that song cannot be the villain of the story. We cannot let someone who sings that song, that reckoning of a song, be the villain. So they completely rewrote the story. They made Elsa and Anna sisters. They weren't originally sisters. Um, And they made this person um, basically the main character of, yeah, the main character of the show. And Elsa is not the only one that writes a lament and has a lament to a reckoning of her own. If you go to the next slide... Um, In Frozen 2, Anna has her own. Anna is the peppy, never has a bad day of her life. Um, And in Frozen 2, if you've seen it, no spoilers, I promise, but if you've seen it, she has her own um, lamentation, if you will. She has a bad moment, bad moment after bad moment. She tries to push through it. She tries to ignore, ignore, ignore. And when she can ignore no more, um, she goes into quite literally the darkest pit um, and has a lament. That lament then leads to the reckoning that um, the story needs and requires. You can go to the next picture. Um, and this, again, no spoilers, but this is the moment where um, after that song, Anna actually becomes the denouement and the, the rising action of the rest of the story. So without the lament, both for Elsa and for Anna, without the lament, they could not have the reckoning um, of the story. They could not have the hope of the story. So... You can go to the next picture. In every one, it doesn't just stop with Frozen and it doesn't just stop with Disney. In every movie that you can think of, in every story, in every cinema story, in every classic story that you can think of, there is a moment, you may not call it a lament, but there is a moment where your hero has a hopeless point where they finally recognize their own hopelessness. They recognize the reality of what is, and in recognizing the reality of what is, they they move through their reckoning, they move into their reckoning, and they push past it, even in rush hour. I just remembered that rush hour is up there. Even in rush hour, and they push past it to go into uh, the rising action and the defeat and the triumph of the story. You have to have the lament. You have to have the hopeless. You have to have the recognizing of the reality of the hopeless in order to have the reckoning and the triumph of the hope. So you can go to, to our bottom line. Today's bottom line um, is that we, we have to, as biblical followers of Jesus, we have to recognize the reality of what is, because the biblical journey to hope is, is a journey that begins with lament. It is a journey that will always begin with lament. So is that slide up there? It should be the next slide, but, oh, okay. You can go to the next one, and then we'll go back one. So, this is today's bottom line. The biblical journey to hope will begin with lament. And that's what we'll talk about today. So, you can go back. So, this is Prophetic Lament. Um, This is a book that I read in seminary as a book club, not as a book assigned. Um, He is super heady. So, I'm going to quote him a little bit, but I'm also going to paraphrase him a little bit because he gets, yeah, really heady. But um, his name is Seung Chan Ra. He is South Korean. Um, He is an intellectual. He has a PhD. And this book is called Prophetic Lament, and it's about the reckoning of justice um, for racial reconciliation. Um, And so here are a couple things that he has to say. He says, the American church avoids lament. The power of lament is minimized, and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. But absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in the loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. Shalom, therefore, does not eschew or dismiss the role of the other or the reality of a suffering world. Instead, shalom a real peace embraces the suffering of the other as an instrumental aspect of well-being. Shalom, real peace requires lament. He goes on to say, for American evangelicals, riding the fumes of a previous generation's assumptions, a triumphant or a triumphalistic theology as in, yay, 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 rah, 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 we win. Um, that celebration is that of privilege and it's rooted in praise only narrative. It's perpetuated by the absence of lament and the underlying narrative of suffering. The underlying narrative of suffering that informs Lament is lost. Lament, though, is honesty before God and each other. And he goes on and on and on throughout his book and again I would highly recommend reading his book, but late, late in his book he says this, lament will not allow us to revert to easy answers. Lament will not allow us to revert to easy answers. So with that, we can go to this psalm. So this is Psalm 77. This is a psalm of lament. This is actually Asaph. This is not David, though David has laments of his own. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And before I continue, I just want to say that lament tends to, in the biblical narrative, lament tends to sit between remembering, a time of remembering, and a time of joy. So lament almost always is in the middle for the biblical authors. It's almost always sitting in the middle of what I am remembering you have done that was good and what I'm asking you to do that you have not yet done. Um, So lament always is in a present state of mind. I never lament what has happened, and I never lament what is going to happen. I am always lamenting what is, uh, which is very important. This is starting um, at the end of verse 6. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? This is, I love that this is Psalm 77 verse seven. What a holy verse. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Selah, as I think we all know, is the word for praise in scripture, right? We don't have an exact translation of that word, but it means praise. So we know that this is the biblical authors praising. We we know that the biblical authors are not just tacking this word at the end. They are saying, I am literally saying that the Lord is spurning me. He is not being favorable. His his steadfast love is ceasing, these are, these are characteristics of God. These are characteristics that in, in the narrative of Scripture have always been linked to, to irreconcilably the same thing that God is. God is always steadfast love. God is always loving. God is always favoring and gracious. Favor and gracious mean the same thing in Hebrew. And yet he's saying, the biblical author here is saying, he is never again going to be gracious or favorable. And then he says, praise God, say praise God, right? So Psalm 77, what would that look like if we took a lament and used that verse the same way that we use other verses in scripture? You can go to the next slide. Just drinking our, you know, cup in the morning with, uh, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Psalm 77. Yeah. Just drinking that up in the morning. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? Uh, giving that gift to a graduate. That'd be awesome. All right. And then what about this one? This is, yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just kind of handing that out, you know, here, honey, here's your uh, anniversary present. Uh, Speaking of that one, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, but uh, just because, you know, I want to pull it out. Um, This is one of Jesus's favorite verses, right? This is the one that Jesus uh, probably had on his coffee cup one particular morning when he was uh, crucified on the cross, one might say. This is the beginning of Psalm 22. Uh, This is Psalm 22.1. This is what he quoted when he was on the cross. This is what Hebrews did often. They would quote the first verse of a psalm. And when they quoted the first verse of a psalm together, they were never just quoting one verse. They were always referencing the entire psalm. That's how they did it. Um, So I'm going to read just a few verses of the song. I'm going to skip around. Um, This is kind of what he was saying. He wasn't just saying Elohim, Elohim. You know, he wasn't just saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was saying multiple things in that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? As As he's bringing salvation to the world, why are you so far from saving me? From the words, so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. This is the remembering, right? This is always what lament sits between, remembering and hoping again. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And then he says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people he goes on in that same vein. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell, this is the the future hope, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him but he has heard when he cried to him. So how interesting, right? How interesting in a lament that in the same time that he says, in the present, I cry and you do not hear me. He says, God, you are one who hears those who cry out. I remember that you heard those who cried out, the the sons of Jacob and of Israel. I remember that you heard them and you do hear them. It's still lament is always in the journey of it's sandwiched between remembering who God was and the acts that He has done, and remembering, remembering who God was, and knowing that He will again bring, that He will again bring hope, that He will again bring reconciliation, that He will again bring whatever it is that we're pining after and yearning after. Speaking of yearning, this is Psalms 42. We know this one too. Um, this is the yearning after the Lord, right? As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O Lord, right? That's a pretty famous one. Why are you downcast, O my soul? This is in verse five. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. This is the on the future side of it. I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, And from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mitzur, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all the waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you, this is present, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why? And then right after that, Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. And then the psalm right after that, because those who comp- the biblical authors who compiled these works knew what they were doing, the psalm right after that is about hoping in God. So again, this just shows it's limit is always in the present, because it's always, like our our bottom line, it's always recognizing the reality, church, of what is, it's just recognizing the reality of what is, all right, we can go to the the final section, yep, of Psalm 77, back one, sorry, back two, forward one, (laughs) yes, at least we know I have my, my slides somewhat memorized, so that's good. <laughs> um, then I said, I will appeal to this. Boom, what is that? This is question and answer time. I will appeal to this. To the ears of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds. That's the word. It's the Yes, Josh, good job. It's the remember side, yes. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeem your people, the children of Jacob and of Joseph. Selah. Speaking of Jacob. So um, in two of the three Psalms, the one that Jesus referenced when he was on the cross and the one that we're reading today, um, Jacob is referenced, and I don't believe that that is happenstance. So, as I'm sure you are familiar with the story of Jacob, he's an old guy, so I'm just going to reference a particular story. Um, Jacob, you know, he is the one that came out, the deceiver, you know, his heel got pulled back. He felt like he was supposed to have the birthright, so he deceived his father into giving him the birthright when he was supposed to go to Esau, Um, In so doing, he had to flee Esau because Esau was going to kill him. That's his older brother, his twin, quote unquote, but technically older brother. Um, When he was fleeing, he sent his whole family before him. Um, He was in a state of distress. He sent his family, his cattle, all of his servants. He was left alone in that state of distress at night. And at that exact time was when he was praying. And in that state of distress, he asked and found an angel of the Lord came and met him. And what did he do? He wrestled with that angel of the Lord. These are um, depictions of him wrestling with that angel of the Lord. And what is he asking for? Why did Jacob wrestle with God? Does anyone know? What was he wrestling for? Yes, Mitch, to be blessed. He was wrestling for a blessing. And did he get that blessing? Did he get the blessing? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He did. He did. Uh, his name was changed. His name got changed to Israel, um, which became the subsequent name of the entire people of God. God named his entire people Israel, which we'll talk about that what that name means in a second. And yes, Israel meaning Jacob, was blessed. He received the blessing. He also walked away with a limp, which I'm sure if you wrestle with an angel, the least of your worries is going to be that you walk away with a limp. So that's pretty cool, Um, which is pretty beautiful. So I fully believe that we as a post-Jesus resurrection church also bear the name Israel, Um, if you want to have a cup of coffee and talk about that, I would love to go over the book of Romans with you and talk about how we are grafted in to the olive tree of the Jewish church and not removed, but I don't have time to go over that right now, but, um, just stick with me for a second on that. So if we bear the name Israel, what does the name Israel mean in Hebrew? Well, the name Israel means wrestles with God. So if God is going to name his chosen people, the people that he sets apart and says, these are it. These are the ones that I want. These are the ones that I like. These are the ones that I'm going to be proud of. These are the ones that I'm going to continue to engage with. These are the ones that I'm going to mark an AOK symbol on. And he doesn't say these are the righteous ones. That's not what Israel means. These are the holy ones. That's not what Israel means. These are the ones that did it right by me. These are the obedient ones. It means these are the ones that engaged with, with me by arguing with me. These are the ones that engaged with me by wrestling with me. These are the ones that engaged with me by getting down and dirty in the mud with me. These are the ones that fought with me. That's that is our blessing. And like Raw, the author of Prophetic Laments, says, and like I would say, we as a church, and I do mean the 40 in this room, and we as an American church, but the 40 in this room, may have thrown a few babies out with the bathwater when we have had some real losses this last year, had some real grief this last year had some real disappointments this last year and we haven't wrestled with God about those things we haven't like Jacob did wrestled with God for our blessing for our namesake we haven't engaged with him for what we want because i can't i can't name anybody that looked at Jacob and said that guy totally was the most sacrificial, self-sacrificing person. And that's why, you know, he received the blessing. No, no. He's the deceiver. That's like literally his name. (laughs) That's what his name means, right? And his new name means wrestles with God, okay? So we're gonna take it home. All right, we can go to the next slide. Well, sorry, you can go to the next slide, the limit slide, back to. (laughs) Lament is, this is what uh, Michelle Reyes says, sorry. Lament is a biblical response to the reality of suffering and it's what we need right now. It is what we need right now. It is what you sitting at the table with all of your disappointments and your hurts need right now. You thought what you needed was a different diagnosis. I thought what I needed was a different diagnosis, trust me. Um, you thought what you needed was a different reality, you thought what you needed was to push past it, you thought what you needed was a better praise song. And I think what what the biblical authors are showing us and what the scriptures are showing us and what God and the Holy Spirit are showing us through our namesake is that lament is the biblical response to the reality that is suffering. And it's what we need right now. Okay. So what does that mean? That's not my slide. I think it, I mean, I guess you can bring your kids to church every Sunday, every opportunity you get. I think it reverted back. My ticket. Is there another ticket home? I think it reverted back. So the first one, I have it on my phone. You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, rethink what you see is biblical. So ignore this slide. You can go to the lament slide just to have a different slide up there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, re- so take it home one is rethink what you think is biblical. Um, to push past stuff and have Christian platitudes that the church is so used to having in times of suffering is not biblical. That is not biblical. The only good thing... According to Scripture, the only good thing that the Job friends did for Job was sit silent for seven days because his suffering was great. When they opened their mouths, everything went wrong after that. (laughs) Okay? Okay? So we need to rethink what we think is biblical in response to our own suffering and in response to the suffering of others. Number two, we need, we need, you need, I need to recognize what is. It is not biblical and it is not holy to pretend like there is a different reality than what is. It is not, God is not interacting with some fake idealized self, some fake idealized family, some fake holier than thou situation. That's not what's happening. God only can interact with and only wants to interact with who you really are and what's really going on. And he only desires that. So number two is we need to recognize what is. Number three is we're not we're not just going to take it home. If we're um, willing to be a little bit vulnerable, we're going to start here with our laments. So you should have some journals in front of you. Um, these might be a little bit more symbolic than real because I don't think I have enough journals for the people in this room, but. Um, if you have a journal with you, feel free to use that, but if you need a journal, there's three right here. There's some journals on the table. Um, please pass around pencils. We're in the back and there were pencils on the table. Um, but I'm going to give us some time to lament. And I'm going to give us some cues too, so. Everybody remember when they were in junior, like junior year high school and you had Composition class, and you had that prompt that you absolutely hated writing, that's what we're doing. Yay! Caleb remembers. Yeah, you do. Cool. And then I write a lot of laments on my phone, so you can do that too. Yeah, I do notes on my phone. Also, not to throw anybody under the bus, but Max is the one who told me to do this. So if you don't like writing your own lament, (coughs) talk to the pastor, but Um, yeah. So go ahead and um, grab a journal. Yep, grab a journal or your phone for notes um, or a scratch piece of paper, whatever you're gonna keep with you or have with you. Um, And then I'll kind of give us some prompts before we begin. Or if you're like, no, I know what to write, feel free to start writing. Um, But I am going to give us five to 10 minutes. So if you think that you're just going to awkwardly sit through 55 seconds, that's probably not going to be the case. But Um, so a reminder, uh, biblical laments always contain three things. Um, They usually contain one, first and foremost, a harsh indictment against God. So you're free to start there or uh, go to that, whichever one you feel like, but it usually contains a harsh indictment against God. Two, uh, a biblical lament almost always contains a memory or a reckoning back to a a memory of what has happened in the past. That can be your past. That can be um, something that God has done in your community's past, or that can be something in the biblical past, um, something that God did for Mary, something that God did for the people of Israel. Um, But it almost always reckons back to the past. And then three, uh, the laments always end with, I know Paul hates me right now. I'm sorry, bro. Okay, laments always end with, um, always end with what God will do again. So an indictment, a memory, and the hope of what God will do. There you have it, folks.